0: This recording is an offering of Networks for Training and Development's Online University. Hi everyone, this is Jessica Stover with Networks for Training and Development, and welcome to A Taste of Wellness, a series of podcasts Today, we're joined by Rosa McAllister, also of Networks, and I'll let her introduce herself in a moment, and she's gonna be talking about holding space. So with that, Rosa, could you introduce yourself and let us know what led you to this work?
1: Thanks, Jess. Hi, everyone. Good questions. Um, So, yes, I am the co-founder of Networks for Training and Development, and I guess in one way or another, I've been holding space for a long time. <laughs> um, I'm the youngest in a large family and uh, was a kind of, as a child was very shy and a quiet observer and would just kind of watch others, watch things happening around this big boisterous family and all the going ons. And oftentimes I was the one that, what, from the time I was a child all the way through now, people would come to to tell me their stuff or to ask for advice or I was always at seeing um, I was with, um, as I started working, I was with kind of the toughest people. Um, people seemed to think that I had a calming aspect, um, even though there was a lot of times turmoil within. But I guess it was this idea that I held space as I would call it now. In other words, um, created a, an environment or an area that others were comfortable in being, that they didn't have to perform, or they didn't have to do something. So I think it's something that I've always been doing.
0: Given that, you know, what are you known for? And what do you bring to others?
1: Well, I hope good things. I'm sure there's some other not 100% great things that I'm known for and that I've brought to others, but I am trying to still clean the slate and be a work in progress. But um, I have worked with a lot of folks who others have seen as maybe being very troubled or troubling or hard to be with. And I have oftentimes found myself being very, very comfortable with them. Um, People have told me that they can be more open with me, um, that, I've allowed them or helped them to find themselves within. A lot of the work I have done um, in the past couple of decades has been with people who communicate very differently or we're not sure how they communicate. So there was a need to really quiet myself to hear them. And I always kind of say, hear with, in quotes, to hear them sometimes with my eyes, sometimes with my gut, sometimes with my soul, but not as much just with my ears as most of us think hearing is. Um, so with people, with everyone, but with people who communicate very differently or people who have um, anxiety or trauma or other things going on, it's there's really a need to kind of look to them and see them and hear them differently, not just in the words they might be using or the sounds they might be making, but uh, more for what's deeper within and what they are really conveying in other ways. I've always been pretty intuitive. um, So that enters into this too. But I'd like to think that I helped people to um, be more of themselves and feel heard and feel seen. And uh, in that way, I guess I'm holding space. Um, I also nowadays work a lot with people in hospice So there are people who, I mean, to be in hospice, you have to kind of qualify by having a diagnosis of something or other that means you um, are probably not gonna be around for six months or less. Your death is coming soon. And so really being with those in hospice who are at that final stage of life is an extraordinary, extraordinary gift, an unbelievable gift. I oftentimes walk away feeling like I'm the winner um, and hoping that I've provided something to them. But you really need to quiet yourself. You really need to drop your drama. You really need to find ways to just be with someone, particularly at this stage of their life, as well as their caregivers. So I remember a great piece of advice that completely befuddled me many, many moons ago it was from a, a woman who became a very dear friend of mine, Jennifer spibert Jen Seibert. Um, she was someone who communicated very differently, and when I first met her, in trying to hear her fully in the many ways she communicated, she instructed me that before I should, before I come to her to be with her, I should think like a blue lake. That was a quote. Think like a blue lake, and I remember thinking, "What? Like uh, I, I mean, I get the basic idea, but what? How does one think like a blue lake?" And in knowing Jen and knowing her and understanding over time, what she was saying was kind of the same idea of as meditating, as trying to quiet yourself, trying to undo the buzz, trying to ground yourself and find ways that you're just being with the person, not doing anything. And so for me that thinking like a blue lake took a lot of practice, particularly because as I'd be, going to see Jen I'd be driving an hour and a half up to see her on the turnpike and you know buzz 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 and, de- de- de, and, I, and then oh that's right I'm supposed to be a blue lake I'm supposed to think like a blue lake before I get in here and I started doing a variety of different things before I would spend time with Jen and they went back to some of my meditation practices that I'd been doing since I was very young I was very lucky I was brought to transcendental meditation classes when I was 12 years old by my older brother. And meditation and yoga had always been a part of my life, various parts of my life. So before I would go in to be with Jen, um, trying to think like a blue lake, I would, even though I was still sitting in my car and even though I had just driven an hour and a half, I would try to do a series of alternative breathings to kind of lower myself I would try to take time um, before I would get to her house, a few miles from her house, I would turn off the music, I would turn off whatever, and I would just try to sink into whatever other sounds I was hearing around me. When I would park outside, I'd always try to get there a little early and I'd try to sink into the visions around me and just notice, as we say, notice what what you notice, focus in on whatever is present around you. Uh, It's a mindfulness practice. When I would go in to be with Jen, um, she would be very hyper initially in anticipation and just the change of energy with someone else coming into the room and all of that. And what I found is that if I didn't look at her directly, that helped because that was just one more level of something, of energy and something that she had to deal with. And many of us have these sensations and feelings regarding um, our vision and and trying to focus in. Um, And so not looking directly at someone or something sometimes helped. I would not go right up to Jan and give her a big hug because just my entering into the room, entering into the space was enough of an energy shift that I needed to minimize my physical movement with her in general, and directly at her. So I never got really close to Jen initially. And I found this is also very, very important, all these things with going into someone's home who's in hospice or going into their space or going into someone that I'm working with to provide massage who I know deals with a lot of anxiety or trauma. In order to build the space and hold the space with someone, I need to minimize the space I'm taking up in terms of my physicalness and everything else. So I can be very verbose and talk a lot. In these situations, I try to be extremely quiet and not speak at all or only speak when spoken to. Um, I try to mirror the person's physical movements. So if the person stands up, I might stand up. If the person sits down, I might sit down. If the person, for example, in hospice is already laying down, I might enter into the area and then lower myself, sit or something, kneel even beside the bed so that I'm at the same physical level as they are. It's just a nice thing that I found. It's a respectful thing, but energetically it's way more than that. Um, It's getting in sync with the person. What happens over time is I find myself that I start actually breathing, oftentimes in sync with the person. I don't try to make that happen, but as I sink into the space and into the energy with the person, I kind of just start mirroring their breath patterns as well. I'm mindful of scents and colors and what I'm wearing, jingle jangly jewelry and all that kind of stuff before I even arrive. I have one person that I worked with for a long time that um, told me she, actual, she absolutely loved the lavender lotion that I would sometimes use. And she eventually required that of anyone who came to work with her, that they had to use a lavender lotion before they would work with her because that helped her feel calm and gentle. I have someone else that I'm assisting now who can't handle many different scents but she can handle some essential oils, other perfumes and things like that. Heaven forbid the worst is Lysol smell or bleach. She can't handle at all. She also can't handle stripes or any kind of really vivid colors. So I'm aware with that, of that when I'm with, and with her and try to make sure I don't wear that. I also found out about this by asking in a moment of calmness and quiet with her asking, what works for you and what should I be doing differently? I I always try to take it upon myself with someone and apologize that maybe I did something incorrect or I did something wrong, that it's not their fault. For many of these folks, whether they be folks with disabilities, folks with autism, folks with chronic illness, folks who are dying, folks with trauma, grief, anxiety, all of these folks oftentimes are left feeling like they're at fault, they're broken, they're wrong. And so one of the biggest things um, I've learned is by taking it upon myself and apologizing and say, look, I'm human. I'm probably going to get some things wrong here in our relationship. And I just need to apologize for that. But I also need you to help me understand what I can do differently. And I bring up, you know, is there something I shouldn't wear? Is there something I shouldn't do? Is there something I shouldn't, whatever. Um, And that's where the ideas of sense and colors and even the roles we play come up. Um, I remember one person telling me I should never be on their left side. And I didn't understand why um, initially, but then later found out that um, because of terrible abuse that she has um, encountered throughout her life, she has visual discrimination issues on the left that are very, very strong. And it has to do with memory of where her bed was as a child and how her bed would sometimes be invaded from the left. So, these things, you know, we don't necessarily know and they're not generalized across to everybody, but we find that out by being with someone and just gently asking if there's and taking upon ourselves, what can I do different? Um, another thing is, I try to accept anything as communication. So, if I see someone getting what appears like uncomfortable or agitated, I check in and I just say, you know, I don't want to be a bother, but. Am I okay? I try not to say, you look agitated. I don't say that because that's putting it on them. I try to say something like, um, if I'm doing anything that's not tolerable, or if you're done, you want me to leave, please, I I get it, I'm fine. Um, And the more that I find that I do these things, the more the person feels comfortable and we hold space together. It's probably a lot of things, Jess, but.
0: And it's terrific, Rosa, thanks. So, you know, this notion of holding space and how we can all do this, I think about this more deeply. What are some other maybe easy, everyday, or additional favorite go-to or simple things that you do, but more broadly that anyone can do and start practicing? Mm,
1: Love that. I think in this day and age, we all need to consider others better and this idea of holding space or being with people. um, And it's kind of being with somebody without expectation that whatever happens, happens. I think we need to do this more. As we're running around more and so busy and we're all doing so much. uh, We all just need emptiness and just kind of blank space. And to have someone that you trust enough that you know that there's not expectation that I have to perform or I have to be dressed a certain way or I have to do this or I have to do that is an extraordinary gift. And to be that person for someone else is an unbelievable gift that you can give. And I think we all can give it. But I think the first thing is we have to take care of ourselves. We can't do this if we're a balled-up mess. You know, if we're a hyper to-do list, checklist, um, I only have five minutes for you kind of space that we're in. So we need to take care of ourselves. I'm a big proponent for drinking, drinking, drinking lots of water, lots and lots of water um, to hydrate. Um, and I don't just drink water. I drink water, or cucumbers sliced in it, and sometimes with salt in it if I need um, kind of a pick me up because it helps re energize me. I can do it. I have very low blood pressure and I don't have issues with salt. And I use a very clean salt that's actually from here in Hawaii. I know the source. And, but just drinking lots of water really helps because it helps flush our systems, it helps us stay hydrated, it helps us frankly, get stuff out of us, purge. And it's not just, you know, kind of chemical stuff and other stuff and food stuff. It's kinds of other stuff. And we can visualize it pulling more things out of us. Um, Breathing. I've already mentioned this, but this idea of breathing purposefully, breathing with intention, Um, and not just when we're going to be with someone who we're trying to hold space with and for, but better breathing all the time for us. So I start every day and I end every day with a certain type of alternative breathing that I do. Um, There's, I'm not sure if you hear, there's a siren in the background. Sorry. Everything's fine. It's just a practice. Um, There are all kinds of different things that we can do, like that. Being able to, you know, making ourselves move throughout the day, whether it's just walking or bending over and touching our toes if we can, or just swinging our arms. Dancing is phenomenal. Jess, I know you hear me talk about this all the time, and I know you're a devotee, but dancing and moving and shaking ourselves is so important. It helps unleash and unburden and move things around within us. And by taking better care of ourselves by doing these things, we're more sensitive to how we can be with others and we are more conscious of that and we're better at it. And this whole idea of gradually trying to breathe with someone, with another person, um, comes more naturally when we are trying different ways to breathe for ourselves. Especially if we find ourselves getting hyped up, if, um, excited, or angry, or upset. You know, the old adage of count to 10 is not a bad one. The old adage of take a couple of deep breaths is not a bad idea. There's a lot of different things that we can do for ourselves on a regular basis. And the long term is that's going to help us be with other people. I think the last thing that I would add, and there's, I could go on, there's probably so many things, but the last thing I would add, and I've already mentioned this, is this idea of expectation. I know for myself, I still fall into the trap of, you know, oh, I'm gonna go see someone while I'm with her, I really wanna make sure that I do this, this and this. And uh, that's not always the best thing, especially if this is someone who you know has issues with anxiety or trauma, or you don't know very well, or they've asked you to come and you're not sure why, or whatever. There's a million different reasons. I think the more we can go to be with others with lessened expectations, with lessened um, things that we expect to come out of it or hopes even of what we come out of it with less agenda on our part, I think better. And what I found in my sage old years these days is the more that I do that, the more actually is accomplished and the farther we oftentimes get both in relationship with another person as well as in some of those agenda items that we actually wanna get to. Because even if we don't have it on our agenda, they're still in our minds and they might likely very easily come up and we might be able to work through them with this other person without having it on a checklist and an agenda of what I really came here to talk about was. Which never makes us very comfortable when someone does that. So last oh, last but not least, one more and one more thing, as I'm famous for saying, taking care of yourself afterwards, after being with someone, particularly if it was a stressful or potentially stressful situation for you or for them, um, particularly if it was if it was in a group situation or something like that, and it was tough, particularly if there was sadness or any kind of high emotion. We need to take care of ourselves afterwards. I think too often after those situations, we're just like, good, that's over. I'm out of here. Put that out of my mind. Not so good. So an animal, if you see an animal after they've had an encounter, um, they might go rest, but first they shake it off. And they literally, like a dog coming out of a lake, will shake from nose to tail. Just shake it off, shake it off. Several of us will almost do like a a shaking or a brushing of ourselves off from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, literally brushing off whatever else was there. I oftentimes say to myself something to the effect of, I release whatever is not mine. And I pull back whatever is mine. Because sometimes when I'm with someone who is dying, or when I'm with someone who's very anxious, or very sad, or very troubled in whatever way, you can't help but pick up some of that energy and some of their stuff, if you will. You don't want that stuck to you, globbed onto you, because it's not yours. And so by doing whatever you can to jump and shake or brush yourself or whatever you can do, and to really be thinking about that you're releasing whatever is not yours, and you're calling back to yourself, your truer self, and whatever is yours.
0: It's a really important practice to do afterwards. Thank you so much, Rosa. Thank you. And again, today we were joined by Rosa McAllister of Networks, and she shared with us beautiful and delicious pieces that we can practice ourselves regarding holding space and We hope you'll continue to tune in, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening. We hope the information provided was helpful. Don't forget to stop by our website and take advantage of all we have to offer.